0: Hello, welcome to Marketing Connected. In the lead up to our Digital Marketing Asia conference in the fourth quarter of this year, we look at one agency that has risen to prominence over the past few years. S4 Capital, led by Chairman Martin Sorrell, was founded in 2018, and it has since made several acquisitions, including MediaMonks, Mighty Hive, Tomorrow, and Decoded Advertising. It has also backed prominent accounts such as Mondelez, Verizon, BMW, and Bumble, among others. In a fireside chat with Editor-in-Chief Razwana Mandar during last year's Digital Marketing Asia Conference, Sorrel shared the verticals he is zooming in on and the areas where clients are spending their dollars on. He also talked about how Southeast Asia stands to gain in the tech war between the US and China.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Sir Martin, for joining us. I know it's 7.45 a.m. (laughs) I won't waste any of your time. I just want to talk about a little bit about the recent financials uh, where S4 actually mentioned that they exited the impact of COVID-19 and your content practice revenue was up 69%. Digital and data media practice was up almost 10%. And so you guys have been really, really busy. I know that you're eyeing those 20, 20 million revenue whopper clients. Um, You secured three. I just want to know, uh, with that in mind, which verticals are you in right now zooming in on? Is it healthcare? Is it tech? Um, and what are you seeing growth in terms of where client dollars are expand, uh, expanding?
2: Yeah, Rosanna, you you kindly referred to the reported growth, and and on a like for like basis, you know we were up uh, in in the quarter by about twenty three percent, and content was up twenty eight and and digital media and data and analytics were up six and for the year to date we were up 16 and content was up 19 and data and analytics and digital media was up seven so we had we've we've gone through i, I wouldn't say we've sailed through covid that would be oh. an exaggeration but we've done well and we're now on course uh, which we were at the beginning of the year before covid in january and february to double the size of the company organically excluding deals or mergers or combinations um you know within three years and that's been our plan for 1921 for 2022 20, and now for 21 to 23. now as far as the where we're focused on tech and healthcare is 55 60 percent of our revenue base you know the whoppers that you referred to which are currently three that's clients which we operate with with more than $20 million of revenue, that, that would be Google, it would be uh, an NDA tech company that we were talking about before. Uh, BMW, which is a recent win, we, we think we will have in short order a, a further one in the FMCG sector and then a, a, a fifth one in the tech sector through land, what we call Land and Expand. So not pitching, which you know we, we do pitch, uh, but by and large, we don't like pitches. We, you know, we, we are a small company We're three 3000 people now or just approaching at 2931 countries. And we don't have the resources to run our business and run our existing clients and pitch business. I mean, we can do it, but it puts a great strain on our resources and our people. So we have to think about pitching very carefully. And And to be, to be frank, it's a long and arduous process. And it, takes an enormous amount of effort and time. And often we feel that that time and effort and resource would be better better focused on our existing clients. But having said that, the V-shaped sectors that we're focusing on, tech and healthcare, you know, obviously online shopping, online communication, online education, online financial services, all those areas are what I would call V-shaped and where we see, despite what you see the, in the equity markets in the last few days, a rotation from tech to value, we still see the the tech sectors and the healthcare sectors uh, in all their forms being uh, extremely attractive. The, the second area would be FMCG and autos. I, I, it depends on the nature of the FMCG as to how. U-shaped, or how the shape of the U is. I mean, it might be a much more narrow U and uh, a much less um, l- less difficult U for the focus companies. So, a L'Oreal, or a Colgate, or a Kellogg's, or a General Mills, which it tends to be more focused on single product categories or one or two, rather than the more diverse companies like P&G and Unilever.
1: Yeah.
2: The third shape is L-shaped. And that tends to be more the travel and hospitality area. You know, it's interesting. Some of the tech platform's biggest clients are the travel clients. And if they recover and come back to spending, which they will do with the vaccine, then we will see growth there. But our focus will continue to be on those more V-shaped and, I would say, the, the narrower U-shaped areas, because yeah. that's where we see the greatest potential.
1: So I wanted to come back to that point that you made about the tech verticals. I know that, you know, currently there's a lot of talk about the risk associated with tech companies, right? I mean, for example, the FANG companies um, are under a lot of scrutiny globally. You just mentioned today that they were going to uh, clamp down on Amazon's uh, dominant position uh, in the marketplace. I mean, Apple has been in and out with in conversations Um, with Tinder or Fortnite and Spotify regarding the app revenue. Um, I know that some of these uh, names that I'm throwing out there are also uh, S4 clients. Um, How does that risk then and the scrutiny that they're under translate into your business?
2: If you take take it head on, let's say that there was further regulation uh, and that took the form of splitting companies up I mean at the end of the day uh, from an advisory point of view and we look at you know who are the companies that we examine Google, Facebook, Amazon, Tencent, Alibaba, TikTok we have to see what happens to TikTok obviously, Uh, Apple, Microsoft, IBM, SAP, Twitter, Snap, Pinterest, LG, Samsung, uh, Spotify, Netflix, Xiaomi, Baidu, Epic. These are the sorts of companies that we sort of try and understand as much as possible and assess the relative merits for our clients. So they're hardware companies, they're software companies, they're platforms. And our role is really to try and understand the relative merits of these companies. Now, if they are split, let's say there were 20 companies in that list that I gave you, they're split into 40 or 60 that makes the tasks that our clients have, and therefore us advising them, even more complex, so ironically, you know, if there was regulation in the form of splitting these companies up, that would be to our advantage because it would make the decisions our clients made more complex right and relying on us. Do I think that breaking them up is going to solve the problem? The answer is no. Do I think that regulating them is going to solve the problem, the answer is no. know, we've seen this in the energy industry, in the telecommunications industry before. You know, these companies get very big, very powerful. You know, the moment that Apple and Amazon and Google and Microsoft go past the trillion dollars of market cap, you know, and Apple gets to two trillion, mm. uh, the, the media focuses on that. You know, that's a big, big signal. That's a big target on their backs. But I... I have to say that they, I, I see them exercising more responsibility. I think they are acknowledging that with their powerful positions comes responsibility. I mean, in China, we're seeing the, the, the government exercise greater control with the, with the postponement or cancelling of the, the financial IPO. Clearly, yeah. you know, the, the Chinese government is really pointing out who's boss. So I, I just see the tech giants exercising more responsibility. They get get hauled before Congress. I think uh, Amazon, Apple, Google and and Microsoft and and Amazon, sorry, have been hauled before Congress twice in the last two quarters, the day before they issued their results. So they're they're very cognizant of what they have to do. We'll see see how it develops. But I do think they are responding. The final point, Rizwana, is that I, I think we have to be careful what we wish for. All of those platforms, uh, the ones in the West and the ones in the East, and, and Jack Ma actually has always positioned Alibaba as sort of the platform of the Chinese entrepreneur. 60 to 70% of their ad revenues come from small business and medium sized yeah. business. And as we go through COVID, you know, the, the, the salvation in part for these businesses, their ability to use these platforms for marketing purposes. So the growth of the small and medium-sized business sector inside for these platforms is is really important, really important. So if we regulate, if we make it more difficult for them, we're going to make it more difficult for small and medium-sized businesses. You know, advertising on TV is not available for these businesses. It's too expensive and it's too inflexible. So online e-commerce, online shopping, online education, online financial services, you know, is the future. It is, the, it is now, uh, but it's even more so the future. D- digital spend is 50% of the market this year. But, I mean, it really is a very difficult environment for traditional media. Online is, is sort of stable to up a bit this year. Next year, it's forecast to grow by 20%, 17% in the United States and to go to about two-thirds, 70% of worldwide spending by 2024.
1: Between this tech war of sorts going on um, between US and China, um, Southeast Asia, Singapore in particular, has seen a fair bit of uh, talent influx in the market. Um, we see Byte actually growing in its uh, size in Singapore. We see Amazon taking up more office space, um, which brings me to my next question. How else do you think Southeast Asia stands to gain uh, between this, as this ongoing tech war um, continues?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I'm really deeply worried, <clears throat> uh, you know, despite what I said previously, I'm deeply worried about the the, the tension between the U.S. and China. I, I don't think it does anybody any good. All, all of us have benefited, you know, when I was at Sarches, when I was at WPP, we benefited from two big trends. One, one was globalization, which particularly affected uh Searches and then WPP was about globalization, continuation of that, and and the birth of new tech or the fourth industrial revolution or whatever you however you want to call it. That has created, you know, the um the the, the platform, the second platform. So there are two buckets: the geog- geographical bucket uh, and the technological bucket. But I, I I remain you know deeply concerned that we have the the two you know I guess the numbers are important you know if if the world is 75 trillion of gdp or thereabouts china 20 uh, us 24 china 14 china growing faster i mean i think china will come out of covid uh stronger than most other nations i mean they're going to grow according to the official statistics this year china gdp will grow this year by one percent i think 1.1 or two percent and next year you know, I expect the blowout because if you look at the Goldman forecast, for example, for GDP GDP down this year four to five percent, next year up five to six percent. Consensus is five, and Goldman at six. And then, interestingly, 2022, uh, I think Goldman are at four, and consensus was at three. So you know, when you compare this to GDP growth that we're used to since 2008 at around 2 3 or 4%, with very little inflation, very little pricing power for clients, and therefore a focus on costs, you know, that 2021 is, is prospectively, you know, with the vaccine announcement, with Tokyo 21, with Euro 21, and in our case, you know, with the sort of micro tailwinds that we have around client wins, with more to come mm. uh, beyond... W, I, I think it's a very, very good environment. So for Southeast Asia, I would say, you know, that tailwind, uh, that strong macro tailwind will be good news. For Southeast Asia, I would look at it more optimistically, but you know, not to underestimate the short term difficulties. So I think our responsibility as we're trying to, to, to lead these companies and drive them forward is firstly to point out the realities, but then you know, to show that there is, there is something at the end of the, there is light at the end of the tunnel.
1: We've got some questions that came in from the floor. Um, I'll throw the okay. first one at you. How should brands pivot and reallocate their agency spend in the new normal, <laughs> given that the focus will be increasingly um, on better value and ROI?
2: Well, I think it's a, it's a good question in the sense that, you know, I, I, I think marketeers should take back control. I think marketeers surrendered control for understandable reasons after great, the great financial crisis. As I said, GDP growth was 2 3 or 4%, very little inflation, very little pricing power, focus on costs. Clients in a world, particularly where Google is nixing third-party cookies over the coming months, where Apple has nixed it as well, first-party data. The data that our clients own is critically important. And deploying that to to manufacture, to create the content, personalization at scale, as my colleagues at MediaMonks call it. The second is in-housing, if necessary, or embedding the agency in the client to create content and then deploying it programmatically.
1: So I have a follow up question for that. Why do you think it took the marketing industry a pandemic to really accelerate our digital plans and efforts? Um, how do we stop from fall- falling back into that cycle? I mean, now we're all getting comfortable that this is the new normal. Um, what What do we do to not fall back into the cycle?
2: Well, I, I, I think we were in a steady state. I think you know we, it, it was. I wouldn't say things were brilliant, but they you know, it was a bit, a bit like goldilocks economy not too hot not too cold and that that lasted from 2010 where where the world surprised on the upside just like i think 21 was surprised on the upside. um you know it was a steady state it was that two three or four percent growth and you eked it out you didn't you didn't have much pricing power very because no inflation you cut the costs. you bought back stock covid19 blew a hole in that and what we're seeing is that the change agents as we call them inside companies are being given more oxygen more room to breathe and more more resources so so violent change is not regarded violent anymore so you take the banks for example the big clearing banks around the world they probably invest about 11 or 12 billion dollars into it a lot of that uh, is it has been done historically to maintain existing systems. You, you can't do that anymore. You know, data. Uh, any company that's listening to this, I would bet, if they're an analog company, moving to digital, they have old systems that they've maintained, but <clears throat> and as a result, data sources and data sets can't talk to one another. So pooling the data in more comprehensive and simple ways is critically important. And it's a very simple thing. It's not rocket science. You don't have to be an Einstein to figure that one out, but our data and analytics business is growing on the back of that. So you have to sort out the data systems. You have to sort out the IT systems. And what COVID-19 to do is it sort of broke the the, the chain. It, it, it was such a disruptive event that all the resistance to change that was before, which was Look, we're doing fine. Let's not disturb things. That mm. fell away, and now you have people who are willing to embrace change because you know there's nothing to preserve. The status quo has been broken I mean, in a way, look at the holding companies. Uh, you know, I still think that they should be broken up because I don't think they function effectively. You know, we just saw uh, you know a flurry about WPP down in Australia and New Zealand, and you know the turmoil down there, and that's. Yeah, it's huge turmoil, apparently, Um, you know, a lot of gossip in the industry, Um, but it's because, you know, they they can't integrate the business effectively. They talk about integration, but they're integrating vertical brands and vertical silos that operate in different ways. And it's a very difficult model now in this day and age to execute. We are very focused on unitary branding and very focused on a unitary structure and one P&L. And we mean it. We're not, we're not playing games. We do mean having one company and one firm because clients want the best people working on their business in one firm.
1: It's interesting you say that um, because often when we have the conversations with marketers or even when agencies are pitching us stories, it can often sound like an echo chamber where everyone is talking about marrying data with creativity and, you know, just kind of like the same spiel over and over again. It can be quite hard for marketers because everything sounds perfect when you're pitching, right? Um, And all all of these echo chambers.
2: Always, always does. Then there's the reality.
1: <laughs> exactly, and so it's it's really hard. Yeah,
2: that's why that's, it's an interesting point. That's why we prefer land and expand. You know the pitch. You know it's a bit like Don Draper in Mad Men, isn't it? I mean, you know, after a hard night, he gets up and he he, he has a wonderful perf- performance in a in a pitch. We much prefer land and expand. I.e., you know, you're the client. You give us a project. Maybe it's the toughest thing you have to deal with. We do a good job in it. You like it. Your colleagues like it. You give us another project. That's a far better way of developing the relationship than a bit of show business, you know, which is a show and tell. It's true that a number of the pitches last for a year or so. And then by that that time, it's probable that the client has a very good idea of what the the agency or agencies can do. But it is, you know, in a way, the pitch situation is artificial. Mm -hmm. Land and expand is not artificial. It's a, a, a day-on-day, minute-by-minute, second-by-second appraisal of what you're doing. And it's a far stronger way, I think, of building the relationship.
1: Fair enough. But it also puts you on a shorter sort of lease, right? You have only that much time to impress.
2: Well, no. Yes and no. No, no I think on the land and expand... No, I think you probably have more time because you, you, it's, you know, it's... Um, show us what you can do. Sometime you you make a mess of it, but show us what you can do. uh, If it's successful, if it works, you know, if it yields results, if it meets the KPIs, here's something else. And it's much stronger and it doesn't divert. You know, if you're the incumbent, I mean, we're so small that, you know, and so new that it's unlikely that we will have incumbent relationships that we're defending. Mm. But, you know, Take, you take, you know, the big agency reviews, you know, WBA, for example, just closed after six or nine months in publicists and WPP were competing for it. WPP eventually kept the business that they had before. But if you think about the resources, so WPP had to run the business and pitch the business. So you almost have to have two teams. That's a huge diversion of resources.
1: Mm.
2: And the existing clients suffer as a result. Um, you know, your other clients suffer as a result. So I think it's far better. The land and expand route is actually far better.
1: How is the talent profile different for you at S4 versus the network agencies like WPP, Publicis and Omnicom? And what are you looking at investing in top talent at S4?
2: Yeah, well, it's a really interesting question. There's a a BNP, XN Circular. We have about seven brokers that follow, analysts that follow us. And BNP have come out with a Circular just recently. I thought that, where, yeah. Where we analyze, uh, actually it was WPP publicists and ourselves. Mm. And, you know, if you look at the makeup, our people don't come from the agency holding yep. guys, but I think it was 10%. They come from tech companies and all sorts of other, other sources. So our, the nature of our people, you know, for example, if you look at the founders of um, Mighty High, they come from the tech platforms. They come from Yahoo and Salesforce and Google. So we are much more, I mean, the reason we have 55% tech clients is we're tech based. So we we think like a tech company. The true comparison for us on the stock market is not the like ad old companies, it's the tech companies. You know, we you compare us to the Trade Desk and Google and Facebook and Amazon and Globant. In fact, the, the tightest correlation from a stock market point of view, over the last two years, or the two years of our existence, has been with GloBank.
1: In the new experience economy with accelerating focus on customer experience, do you foresee companies shifting resource investment from marketing and advertising to customer experience enhancements since the former usually interrupts to capture attention while the latter <laughs> captures attention more intuitively?
2: Well I think that you know I, I, I wouldn't in a way separate the two. I think they're all part of um, there's a shift going on in the way that the question indicates to you know to experience we, we've talked talked about virtualization as being a concept. Forrester developing that with uh, Wesley Tahar at uh, Mediamux um, as a as a concept um, you know I think it's an interesting way of putting it. I'm not sure that you can build the company around that i think you build uh, us uh, our approach around agility and the sort of things that the people have identified as being the key constituent parts of agility um but yeah you know, I, I think the the, the the drift behind the question is right but it's not either or it's a shift you know it's the whole enchilada or it's the whole egg, and we're just talking about a shift in focus away from interruption to l- looking at the, the customer experience and looking at and how consumers behave and trying to build a more effective model to engage with them. So I think the, the thrust of the question is absolutely right, and that's what we're doing.
1: What is the legacy that you'd like to leave behind, and are there any regrets or ambitions that you had at WPP that you are now fulfilling at S4?
2: Well, I think you know. I think the the, the headline on S four is you know they created it. our mission is to create the new new age new year, era advertising and marketing services model and, and to disrupt disrupt the old. So uh, I think the the answer is you know that we in I don't know two three four five years time people will look back and say that they understood the changes you know some of which we discuss Rizwan or in this in this chat and the, and the questions. That we, that we received reflected that, that we understood those changes and made those changes and we're in the vanguard of creating what we call that new age, new era advertising and marketing service model, which is, which is number one, purely digital because that's where the growth is. Number two, it, it, it uses that holy trinity model of first party data, digital advertising content and programmatic in a, in a continuous loop. Thirdly, is faster, better, cheaper, or speed, quality, value. And and finally, and probably most important in relation to the old structures, is is unitary in concept.
0: Thank you for listening. If you are interested in signing up for Digital Marketing Asia as a sponsor or delegate, please head to www.marketing-interactive.com for more information. We hope to see you there.